amidst the hustle and bustle of America's largest city, sits an incredible green space that just happens to be one of the most filmed locations in the world, appearing in over 350 movies and counting over the years. It's been home to dozens of iconic concerts and is the second most visited tourist destination in America. Yet it's so big, it never really feels too crowded. It also happens to be America's first landscaped public park. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the See America podcast. From coast to coast, we see America one mile at a time, discovering stops along the way that are eclectic, historic, ridiculous, breathtaking, inspiring, and humbling. This week, New York's Central Park. This great destination is brought to you by Road Trippers, America's number one road trip planning app. Road Trippers helps people discover the world around them in an entirely new way by streamlining discovery, planning, booking, and navigation. Plan your unique journey at roadtrippers.com, then use the app as your ultimate travel guide and navigator. Adventure doesn't come from the fastest route. Start exploring at roadtrippers.com. I remember vividly the first time I set my eyes on New York City. I'd flown into New Jersey's Newark airport and took a train to Penn Station. I emerged from the underground terminal on a sunny summer day to the massive sea of buildings. I'd lived for 10 years in Chicago at this point, the birthplace of the skyscraper. But still, nothing prepares you for that breathtaking moment you step on the streets of the Big Apple for the first time. The first building in front of me was the sleek, open-glass New York Times building, which offers you this stunning realization that the events of the world are shaped on the island of Manhattan. My first thought was that the sheer size of the place was overwhelming. The second was I could never, ever live there. The intensity of New York is constantly palpable, and you're left wondering where the people that live there go for respite. Thankfully, the answer for many is the massive green rectangle plopped in the middle of the city, Central Park. Heck, even a tourist needs to get away from the commotion after a day or two. With the history of Central Park, here's Abigail Trebu. On July 21, 1853, the New York State Legislature enacted into law the setting aside of more than 750 acres of land central to Manhattan Island to create America's first major landscaped public park. They would soon refer to it as the Central Park. Many socially conscious reformers understood that the creation of a great public park would improve health and contribute to the formation of a civil society. Immediately, the success of Central Park fostered the urban park movement, one of the great hallmarks of democracy of 19th century America. The design, one of the great masterpieces of American art, was the result of the 1858 competition won by Connecticut-born journalist and agriculturalist Frederick Law Olmsted and British-born and trained architect Calvert Vu. 
they named their plan Greensward for their preferred landscapes of sweeping meadows and vast water bodies designed to appear limitless while brilliantly displaying the park's long and narrow rectangle within New York City's rigid grid. These grand pastoral scenes were carefully juxtaposed with the intimacy of picturesque woodlands featuring dense plantings, meandering streams, and dramatic rockwork arranged to include naturalistic caves, grottos, and cascades. Moving through these orchestrated views would be the antidote to the congestion and unforgiving pace of work and the crowded conditions in which much of the soaring population lived. And because the designers recognized a need for civic socialization in their plan, they created a formal mall, the grand elm-lined promenade and the main architectural feature, Bethesda Terrace, a two-tiered esplanade featuring elaborate carvings and a central sculpture fountain that eventually became Angel of the Waters when American artist Emma Stebbins was awarded the commission. Visitors experienced these varied park scenes through a brilliant system of intertwined recreational roads, 28 miles of pedestrian paths, six miles of drives to be shared by both equestrians and carriages, and a rural bridle trail exclusively for horseback riding. Central Park's six-mile tree-lined perimeter offered an urban promenade that acted as a buffer between the city and the park. To ensure the safety and psychological peace of mind for all park visitors, Vu and assistant architect Jacob Ray Mould created a series of ornamental bridges that separated walkways for quiet strolling from the faster horse and carriage traffic. The design competition required the inclusion of four or more transverse roads that crossed the park at intervals and was open to city traffic both day and night. The creation of four below-grade roadways, 65th Street, 79th Street, 86th Street, and 96th Street, are Olmsted and Vu's most innovative feature. These external arteries, artfully camouflaged behind dense vegetation, ensured visitors the continuity of a purely rural experience within the boundaries of the park. Central Park was also designed as a vital cultural resource, offering flexible spaces for music and the visual arts, passive recreation such as sketching and birding, and active sports such as boating, ice skating, baseball, tennis, and croquet and an outdoor classroom for the appreciation and study of botany. By the early 20th century, the social, political, and economic climate threatened the fabric of Central Park and caused its first serious decline. Robert Moses, park commissioner from 1934 to 1960, received federal funding for the restoration of many eroded landscapes and crumbling structures, and embarked on massive public programming for the first post-Depression populace. His contributions included 19 playgrounds, ball fields, handball courts, and Woolman Rink. When he left office, however, there was no management strategy for maintaining these improvements or educating Central Park visitors in proper stewardship. And for the next two decades, the second and most devastating decline took its toll on the fragile 843-acre park. 
Physically, Central Park was in a chronic state of decay. Meadows had become barren dust bowls, benches, lights, and playground equipment were broken, and the 100-year-old infrastructure was crumbling. Socially, the park bred a careless, even abusive attitude, as evidenced by unchecked amounts of garbage, graffiti, and vandalism. The perception, and in many cases the reality, of Central Park was of a lawless and dangerous ruin. Despite a workforce of over 300 Park Department employees assigned to Central Park, there was no accountability. New York City had abdicated responsibility as Central Park steward, and as a result, this national treasure became a national disgrace. To help remedy this situation, concerned citizens, under the guise of the Central Park Community Fund, underwrote a management study of Central Park in 1974 by E.S. Savas, who was at the time a professor of public system management at the Columbia University School of Business. The groundbreaking study proposed that two important initiatives be implemented in Central Park. One, that a chief executive officer be given clear and unambiguous managerial authority for all Central Park operations. And two, a Central Park Board of Guardians be created to oversee strategic planning and policy, thereby instituting private citizen involvement in the public park. The study's first proposal resulted in the appointment in 1979 of Elizabeth Betsy Barlow, now Rogers a Yale-educated urban planner and writer who became the newly created Central Park Administrator, charged with overseeing all aspects of Central Park's daily operations. In essence, the chief executive officer recommended in the study. For four years before her appointment, Rogers had been overseeing the Central Park Task Force's program for summer youth interns, eventually becoming the head of that small private organization, financially separate from the city, but existing under the park's department. Given her new official status and responsibilities as administrator, Rogers first conceived of and then helped to create a revolutionary public-private partnership with the support of then-park commissioner Gordon Davis that would bring private monies and expertise in partnership with the city of New York to manage and restore Central Park. In 1980, the two most prominent private advocacy groups, the Central Park Task Force and the Central Park Community Fund, merged to become the Central Park Conservancy. The citizen-based Board of Guardians that the study had essentially recommended. Under a conservancy-funded master plan, the gradual restoration of these decrepit landscapes evolved, and success bred success. As the conservancy showed its ability to protect and maintain its investment, many more private individuals, foundations, and corporations put their trust and their money into the restoration of Central Park. Between 1987 and 2008, the Conservancy led three successful capital campaigns towards rebuilding Central Park, ensuring the completion of the park's transformation. Most importantly, for the first time in Central Park's turbulent history, the Conservancy created an endowment to ensure a sustainable, green, and healthy future for Central Park. In 1998, a historic management agreement between the Conservancy 
In the years since, the Conservancy created innovative management practices to ensure that healthy new landscapes would have a skilled and dedicated staff to maintain them in a professional manner. The zone management system, which divided the park into separate zones for managerial purpose, brought accountability, pride of workmanship, and clear and measurable results to the Conservancy and Park Department staff. Central Park's restorations gradually fostered important social changes in public behavior that returned the sanctity of public space to Central Park and ultimately to New York City at large. The American ideal of a great public park and its importance as a place to model and shape public behavior and enhance the quality of life for all its citizens once again defines the measurement of a great municipality. Today, Central Park has never been more beautiful or better managed in its 160-year history. More than 42 million visitors enter the park each year to enjoy the landscapes and find peace from city life, continuing a tradition that began more than a century ago. Central Park's rectangular plot is bounded by 5th and 8th Avenues on the west and east and 59th and 106th Streets on the north and south. The perimeter of the park stretches six miles and contains within it 26 baseball fields, seven bodies of water, and 58 miles of pathways. 2.5 million cubic yards of dirt and rocks were hauled in to build the actual park. Almost none of the landscape, including the lakes, is natural save for the giant stone boulders that are remnants of ancient glaciers. The mall, which is also the widest walkway, is the only straight one. Olmsted and Vu purposely made the paths and roads inside the park winding to give city dwellers a place where they could wander. The 6.5-acre Central Park Zoo opened in 1934 and has grown to include over 1,400 animals, including sea lions, snow leopards, Antarctic penguins, and polar bears. It's one of five New York City zoos, and it's not the biggest, but it does tend to be the most convenient for most tourists. The Metropolitan Museum of Art, America's largest art museum, is actually located within Central Park and features a permanent collection of over two million works of art, including masters such as Monet, Matisse, Gauguin, Renoir, Degas, and Rembrandt. Central Park is almost six times larger than Vatican City, but there are actually parks in New York City that are even bigger, including Flushing Meadows Corona Park in Queens and the Staten Island Greenbelt, which is comprised of a 2,800-acre network of connected parks and trails. This episode of Sea America was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with narration by Abigail Trebu, and much of the text by the Central Park Conservancy. If you like the show, we'd love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'd also like to invite you to follow the Sea America podcast on Instagram and Facebook and join the Sea America Facebook group, where we chat about some of America's greatest road trip destinations. If you're a national park lover, we hope you'll also check out the America's National Parks podcast or come listen to Abigail and me talk about our life on the road with our three boys on the RV Miles podcast. (laughs) 
This Great Destination was brought to you by Road Trippers, America's number one road trip planning app. Plan your unique journey at roadtrippers.com, then use the app as your ultimate travel guide and navigator. Adventure doesn't come from the fastest route. Start exploring at roadtrippers.com.